Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week on the podcast, we have Bryce Wood from Alchemy Bikes in Colorado. You may recognize Bryce's voice from my Sea Otter Roundup episode, where I got to know the brand a little bit, but I was certainly curious to dig deeper, so I was happy to have him on for a full show. Before we jump in, I need to thank this week's sponsor, Competitive Cyclist. Competitive Cyclist, the online specialty retailer of road, gravel, and mountain bikes, components, apparel, and accessories. Featuring cycling standout brands like Pock, Castelli, Perilizumi, and 510, an unrivaled in-house bike assembly operation, they bring the personalized attention of the local bike shop along with the selection and convenience only available while shopping online. The real difference at Competitive Cyclist are the gearheads. Equal parts customer service and cycling fanatics. Gearheads are former pro athletes, Olympians, and seasoned cyclists with years of experience, all available by phone, email, or chat for product recommendations and hard-won advice. You may recall from the last couple episodes that I had a really great experience with my own personal gearhead, Maggie, as she walked me through the various gravel bikes they have available for sale on competitivecyclist.com. Today, I have to say I wasted a lot of time perusing items on Competitive Cyclist. I'd been given a gift certificate and I wanted to pick up something for myself. So I found myself going through the clothing, the gloves, the components, all kinds of stuff. I think I filled my cart with $500 worth of stuff before I backed it off and got down to my gift certificate amount. I'm somewhat proud of myself as I ended up with a nice mix of practical things as well as some things I've been lusting after for a while. I got some replacement disc brake pads and also a digital tire gauge. I talked about that a little bit before on the pod, how I thought I'd be curious to be able to really see precise measurement as to what PSI I'm running between the different wheel sets, just to make sure that I'm getting out there and, and understanding what various tire pressures are going to do. I've got some tests coming up in the future that I'd really want to know what range I'm in as I test some new tires and new, some new products. The team over at Competitive Cyclists has generously offered 15% off for all podcast listeners. So go to competitivecyclist.com slash the gravel ride and enter promo code the gravel ride. Get that 15% off your first full price purchase plus free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Some exclusions apply. Go right now and get 15% off plus free shipping at competitivecyclist.com slash the gravel ride, entering promo code the gravel ride. I mentioned I was on the site this morning, picking out some things for myself. I actually got a shipping notification today already. So they're doing same day shipping in some instances. So you can be confident at competitivecyclist.com. They've got your back for holiday gift purchases, things you need to get in a timely fashion. Go over to competitivecyclist.com slash the gravel ride. With that business behind us, let's jump right into my interview with Bryce from Alchemy Bikes. Bryce, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, definitely. Ever since our brief conversation at Sea Otter, I've been super excited to get you on board and just learn a little bit more about the Alchemy brand. You're doing some super interesting stuff in gravel. So why don't we just start by a little bit of the backstory of Alchemy? Yeah, so Alchemy was founded in 2008 in Austin, Texas by Ryan Canizaro, who still owns the company, still comes into the office every day. And there he met our designer and engineer, Matt Metchuzak. They aligned on 
you know, what they wanted to do in the bike industry. And Matt was uh, crit racing and as a six foot four, 230 pound guy, he was uh, having a hard time finding frames that were rigid enough for him and could support him during that kind of uh, race. So he was really interested in building his own frames. And so that's how Alchemy got its start. Moved to Denver, Colorado, where we currently are about two years after the fact. So we've been here in Denver for uh, a little over a decade. And this is where we design and produce, manufacture, and also bring customers in to have that experience is, is all right here in Denver. Um, so we're really fortunate to have the, the Colorado people supporting us. Super interesting. So of those first bikes that were made, were they manufacturing out of steel or titanium or carbon at that? So Matt was actually doing, he was experimenting with a, a wet carbon layout. And those were the first carbon bikes that he produced, not really under an alchemy badge. We started building out of metal and, uh, Carbon fiber is a, a more expensive and in-depth product to work with. You need a lot of specialized tooling, and it's relatively expensive. So carbon fiber didn't come until a few years into Alchemy's existence. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I feel like the number of people actually manufacturing with carbon in the U.S. is pretty small. So I was super excited when I learned that you were doing that in Colorado. So is the can you walk through the sort of carbon fiber construction process that you're using on the frames? We, we do everything here, starting with a, a CAD rendering. So we, we design the frame, make sure that it looks good to us on a computer screen. After that, we're going to 3D print out a model so that we can hold it in our hands and make sure that we've got the design cues that we're looking for. Everything is where it needs to be. From there, we do a, a pre-preg carbon construction. So we get sheets of unidirectional carbon on, on large rolls, and we use a CNC plotter to cut those sheets into shapes that we can lay up. So we use different orientations of the fibers for different components. We build all the, the frames in a tube-tube construction so that we can change the carbon layup of a chain stay or a bottom bracket shell, which needs to be really rigid. And that layup is going to be very different from the seat stays or the top tube or the down or the seat tube where we need compliance. So building in that that tube to tube construction really not only allows us to offer custom geometry really easily, but also allows us to tune and dial in the ride feel of that bike to a degree that we don't see from a lot of manufacturers. Are you alternating some of the sort of tube dimensions or the layups on a size-by-size -size basis? So how we have it plotted out for like our Atlas line and the Ronin line is we make these tubes extra long and then we can miter them down and miter them in different angles to create uh, unique geometries. For the new Rogue, it's a little bit of a different venture for us. We're doing an advanced monocoque construction where there's still tube to tube, but there are less components. So like the down tube and head tube are one piece. That allows us to have less junctions, which means less weight and more strength. But it means that we do need different sized molds for every different sized frame. Gotcha. On that tube to tube construction, how, is, how are the tubes bonded together? 
Yeah, the tubes are bonded through an overwrapping process. So basically, we, we put a very fine layer of epoxy that holds the tubes together once they've been mitered and put into a jig to hold the geometry in place. And then we take dozens of sheets of carbon and we wrap them uh, in different orientations to join those tubes together. After they've been wrapped, they go into a vacuum bag and then into a large oven and they're cured in that oven so that those overwrap pieces become part of the frame itself. Interesting. And then once that process is done, is there like sanding and finish work that happens on carbon fiber? Yeah, there is. So we use, we, we machine our own molds in house and we use uh, silicone and latex bladders. So we get really good compression out of our tubes and they come out of the molds extremely smooth. The overwrap process, that vacuum bag tends to add a little bit of texture on those overwrapped surfaces and we do need to sand those to be smooth. Got it. Got it. Thanks for that. I, I think about carbon fiber as more that monocoque production process and less, you know, what you've described, which is really interesting. It, for me, it share it, I start thinking about the visuals of a steel or titanium frame building process where you're putting it in a jig and you're bonding them all, you're welding them all together. So it's interesting and clear to me and hopefully the listener that you can really make a lot of adjustments pretty easily in the process by having those tube forms that are a little bit longer and just chop them down and miter them to the appropriate size for what the customer is looking for. Yeah, it's definitely unique in, in, in you don't see that in, in any mass produced frames. It's all going to be a monocoque construction, which is easy to produce. And you can, to a certain degree, still tune those tubes to do what you want them to. You add different layers here and, and there, but you lose the ability to do that custom geometry, which is something that our customers, I think, really value and something that is one of the pillars that we built Alchemy on and, and we'll do that forever. Yeah, it's certainly rather unique that you can get a carbon fiber frame custom fitted to your own personal specifications. Yeah, there's really only a few companies in the country doing that. So we're really happy to be helping to lead that uh, charge. Let's talk a little bit more about Alchemy's journey. You mentioned that the co-founders started out by building road bikes or criterium bikes to fit their needs and eventually started to offer them under the Alchemy brand. At what point did it start to expand to the mountain bike and gravel world? As soon as we noticed that there was a market for gravel, we dove into that head first. So we we offered pretty early on a true gravel bike, not just a cyclocross frame that we build as a gravel bike, but a true gravel frame that, that took on all the cues in design and performance that people were looking for out of that discipline. Mountain bikes came because a lot of us rode mountain bikes and we really wanted to, to be able to have something under us that bore our company name. And that's actually really taken off and, and become probably the biggest department at Alchemy is our Arctos mountain bike division. Yeah, interesting. I imagine one sitting there in Colorado understood pretty, hard, pretty darn hard to not want to build a mountain bike being in that location. And two, I imagine as far as the mountain bike landscape goes, again, being able to offer these custom capabilities for the bike is pretty unique in the space. We've found that there's not a lot of demand for custom mountain frames. The bike itself and the discipline itself is 
so dynamic. It's not like uh, road or gravel where you find yourself in a stagnant position for long amounts of time. You're always pivoting and, and moving on the bike. And so that combined with your suspension means that there's not a huge demand for it. We still offer custom geometry on our hardtail mountain bikes because that's uh, a little bit more similar to the road and gravel side of things, but we are not currently offering custom geometry on the full suspension carbon bikes. Understood. So on the gravel bike, you mentioned you, you saw, saw the trend beginning and you started to design a bike specific for gravel. Can you talk about some of those design considerations in the original bike? And was that original bike the Ronin? The original bike was actually the Athon. And that bike, we wanted it to not be as, as, as a cyclocross bike or a road bike, but we wanted to stay away from something that was too slack. We wanted it to be really comfortable and capable and just have that extra clearance that you need on a gravel bike. As this sport has evolved, we've noticed that the original Athon is not looking like what gravel bikes are looking like today, that they're getting longer, they're getting slacker, they're, the demand for mount mounting points and racks and fenders has really increased and it looked uh, a lot like a cyclocross bike that i would think of today um, but for the time it was a little bit different than that the new rogue is really moving into that contemporary design where we've got really slack head tubes and bikes really meant its purpose built for adventuring gotcha so let's talk about your you've got two models currently and one of them has two materials so you've got the ronin in both carbon fiber and titanium. Well, why don't we start there and talk about the intention of that bike, the type of rider it's looking to serve, and maybe spend a, a moment or two in terms of if a rider sort of keys in on the Ronin as being the bike for them, how do you talk to them about titanium versus carbon fiber? Yeah, so the Ronin was uh, the next iteration of that original Athon, and it just expanded and, and dialed in what a gravel cyclist is looking for. We kept it true to that same design element of the Athon where we wanted um, relatively steep geometry that makes the bike feel really lively and responsive, but we wanted that that clearance and the capability that comes from a, a gravel machine. That bike's been in our stable for a couple of years now, two and a half years, and it's still relevant, I think, for those people who are interested in gravel but also want to be able to ride on the road from time to time, and also those people who are maybe racing gravel. So that's the bike that I would recommend. If somebody's looking to do unbound gravel and be competitive, I'd push them towards the Ronin instead of the Rogue. If you want that quiver-killing bike, that bike that you can maybe have two wheel sets for, and it's going to be really capable off-road but still be able to keep up with your group ride with your friends on the road that bike's going to that's going to serve you really well the distinction between carbon and titanium just like on the road it's going to it's going to be really dependent on your goals and your riding style and what you want that bike to do well so if you live here in the foothills and you're riding up mountains all day long, that carbon fiber, the responsiveness in it, the rigidity in it is really going to serve you in, in that purpose. If comfort is your main concern or you spend a lot of time doing endurance riding, the forgiveness 
and the compliance in the titanium frame is really going to benefit you and make you a lot more comfortable. It, the weight gain between carbon and titanium, titanium being a little bit heavier, is really not a huge consideration for most people. It's about 200 grams in our frame, depending on frame size. So it really comes down to, do I want this bike to be fast and responsive, or would I rather it be comfortable and easier to to live with on, on those longer rides? Are both the titanium and carbon fiber versions offering the same accommodation for tire size? They do, yeah. So we cold form our titanium tubing in-house, uh, and that's how we achieve the, the rear tire clearance. We do an S-bend seat stay and chain stay to allow the exact same clearance. So you can fit a 45C tire in both the carbon and titanium Ronin. And then on the 650 tires, I think I noted that you can go up to 2.1? That's correct, yes, sir. And with the two Ronin models, correct me if I'm wrong, but these are models that if uh, a customer is working with you, you do offer custom geometry and modifications. Yeah. So every bit of that from the build spec to the frame geometry to the finish options are all custom. Cool. And now let's talk about the Rogue. So you, you began your journey with Model 1, then you moved over to the Ronin, and then this year you've introduced the Rogue. Tell me about the philosophy behind it and where you see this sitting next to the Ronin lineup. Yeah, it's that next progression in gravel, right? Everybody, this sport has really taken over a large part of the industry, and it's really growing exponentially year over year. And people, as they keep riding, they find out what they need out of a gravel bike. And so this is that answer to uh, the last decade of people riding gravel and expressing their needs. We'll still be keeping the Ronin in the lineup, but the Rogue is just a great complement to it. If you're that cyclist who is expressly riding off-road, you want to get out of traffic and off the road, the Rogue is, is going to be your bike. If you want to do light bike packing and you want to get lost, the Rogue's the bike for you. So it's not going to be as steep or as racy feeling as the Ronin is. It's going to be that bike that can take you anywhere and keep you comfortable and have all the accessories and accompaniments that you want when you're on a long distance ride away from civilization. Gotcha. So when talking about how you've made it a little bit slacker, wider tires, tire clearance, any other bits of the geometry that have changed for this style of riding? Yeah, definitely. So we've dropped the seat stays and we have carved out the lower section of the seat tube. And both of these design elements are going to give that rear end a lot more compliance. So we've actually got uh, a couple millimeters of travel built into that rear end just through the carbon construction of the frame. That paired with those larger tires is really going to help to keep you a lot more comfortable. Also with the Rogue, we've added more mounting points so that you can add racks and panniers and make that a little bit more capable. Another design feature is the SRAM Universal Derailleur Hanger, or UDH. We added that because we've it's been around on the mountain bike side of things for a while, and I think for a bike that you're really taking off-road and adventuring and exploring with, 
it makes sense to have that product on the bike because it really protects your drivetrain when you're in those situations where you might have tight clearance of rocks around you or things get really muddy. You've got that re-rail feature to keep your chain where it needs to be. And if you do happen to go down, uh, it's also going to protect your derailleur so that you don't find yourself in a bad place when you're far away from. This might be a little bit difficult question to answer, but could you describe what that UDH looks like and how it differs from a traditional derailleur hanger? Yeah, the UDH is, it, it bolts onto the rear dropout. Now you've got a bolt that enters the drive side and bolts onto the actual hanger that's on the non-drive side of that uh, right dropout. It has a feature on the inside that helps to re-rail your chain. So if you're on a really bumpy surface or your derailleur is not properly adjusted and it, and you shift into that first position, instead of your chain going in between the cog and the dropout and jamming up, the derailleur hanger just spits it back up onto that that first cog. So you're not going to have that situation anymore where you miss shift or the chain gets rattled off into your frame. Another great feature of it is that it actually rotates because of how it's because of how it's attached to the frame, it rotates backwards in the event of a crash. So instead of it breaking your derailleur at a knuckle or at the mounting point, it's just going to rotate and get your derailleur out of the way. So hangers have been doing this for us for years, but only in a lateral capacity. So if you crash on your side, your hanger is built to to break, right, to protect your derailleur. This kind of takes that a step further in an oblique impact, or if you just catch your derailleur on a rock or something, it's just going to rotate that back and give you uh, a better chance of your derailleur surviving that situation. Got it. And when you're removing the rear axle to take the wheel off, is it still attached to the frame or is it, does it come off with that removal of an axle? Nope. It's the exact same. Once that derailleur hanger is mounted, everything works the exact same as your traditional through axle system. Got it. Thanks. I appreciate that. So with the Rogue, if I'm someone who fits the bill but still does a little bit of road riding with this bike, when you slap a road wheel set on this, what am I feeling that's different than the Ronin? Yeah, it's it's still a, a road configuration, right? You still got dropped handlebars, you still you're still gonna be in relatively the same position. But this bike is going to put you in a little bit more upright position. It's a little bit shorter and you're gonna you're gonna notice that the bike is not quite as responsive when you're sprinting or climbing up a hill as a Ronin or a road bike would be. So while it's still gonna be perfectly happily ridden on the road, it really is built to excel off road. Yeah, that makes sense. I think something you said a few minutes ago was really interesting to me, just talking about the decade that we've been riding gravel and how this bike is the culmination of that. And I have to say, when I met you at Sea Otter and I looked and understood the specs of this bike, I really do feel like it's on point with the moment and the journey that, certainly speaking for myself, that I've been on as a rider and where I want to see the spec of these bikes go. Yeah, it just takes everything that, that one step further. It's like gravel without limitations, right? Where a Ronin's going to serve you when 90% of the situations that you find yourself in, but it's lacking a little something. If you're a true gravel aficionado and that's where you spend most of your time riding, you're going to want the option to run a larger tire. You're going to want mounts on your forks and your rear end 
you're going to want that that slacker, more comfortable, more stable geometry on those rough roads. So it's really built for you. Yeah, it's interesting. I certainly have been public about my journey. And I think when I originally started gravel riding, I sold my road bike and said, this is going to be my road bike and my gravel bike. And I made certain compromises mm-hmm. to accommodate for this notion in my head that I would still ride on the road a lot. And over the years, absolutely, I've just discovered that nine times out of 10, I really want to be off-road immediately as quickly as possible and stay off the roads. And my choice of equipment has gradually moved towards that acknowledgement of, hey, if 90% of my riding is exclusively off-road and being where I live, it's fairly technical, I do need to optimize around that. And as you said, certainly I've got a drop bar bike. So when I put a road wheel set on it, it's fine. I'm not going to win any criteriums on it, but I wasn't going to do that anyway. Exactly. Yeah. If you're riding nine times out of 10 on the gravel, that one time out of 10, that bike's still going to, still going to be fun to ride on the road, but you're going to have all the capability that you really need those nine times out of 10. So yeah, that's really how we designed it. Yeah. I think it will be interesting if people coming from the road side of the market are willing and able mentally to make that leap all the way over to the rogue right off the bat, or if they still like me needed an interim step on a bike that quote unquote felt like it was going to be more of a road bike. Yeah. It's, it's been really interesting working with all of our customers and seeing that transition and their own journeys. And we've got a true road bike. We've got an all road bike. We've got the, the racy gravel bike, and now we've got the rogue and we're seeing people that are, are a little hesitant and they're going to just step up to that all road bike and get the 38 C tire clearance and go off road 20 or 30% of the time. And I think that it's a good thing to have all those steps in between because they're all those bikes are going to really be tailored for each individual rider's needs. So if you're on the road all the time, great. You've got a bike for that. If you want to get off the road a little bit, cool. We've got something that that suits that need as well. I don't think we're seeing a lot of people make that transition, that full transition from road to rogue right now, unless they're in that situation where they can own multiple bikes, in which case that's the best uh, case scenario is to have that true road and to have a true gravel. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. It's a good segue. I would love to just hear from you about the customer journey. So what is it like Alchemy Bike sells direct to consumer from the website. Why don't you talk through what that experience looks like, how you tend to work with customers, and what type of timeline it takes to get one of these bikes underneath them? Yeah, while we do offer all of the bikes available for immediate purchase on the website, we find that not a lot of people go that route. Most people, when they're spending that much money on something like this, they want to talk to somebody first. So we, most of the bikes that we sell, we've got that conversation with that customer before they actually make the purchase. I'm the main point of contact at Alchemy for all of our road and gravel customers who are looking to purchase a bike. And if they've got questions about specking it out or they need a fitting first, I'm the person that they're going to talk to about it. The the customer journey really starts with that first phone call. Hi, my name is blank. This is what I'm looking for. And then we can talk a little bit more about their individual needs. Then we can land on that that platform first okay you need a rogue and then where are you going to be riding what's your riding style 
that's going to bring us to determining what kind of gearing or drivetrain that you need. And then the hardest part of the whole process is what, what color do I want the bike to be? <laughs> Everyone gets hung up there. So after, after we've determined all that with the customer, we send them a copy of their geometry. We send them uh, a rendering of their paint and we send them a build sheet uh, detailing all the components that we're going to build their bike with. And we get approval from them and then we take a deposit and the production team gets to work and we start ordering components. Typically, we like to try to keep the customer updated as their frame moves through the production. So I'll send them a picture of their frame after it's been overwrapped, before it has paint on it, so that they can be a part of that bike coming to life. The question about <laughs> timeline and delivery is a, is a tricky one in this day and age. And largely it's dependent on, on their component choices. So we can turn around a, a custom geometry, custom painted frame in about eight weeks. We have stock sizing that's paint ready that we can paint and turn around in about two or three weeks. And the main holdup right now is going to be components. Every small builder as well as the big guys are also feeling that squeeze right now. There's some components that we've got decent availability of and we can turn that bike around in 10 or 11 weeks and then there's some stuff that is in such high demand and such short supply that it's going to it's going to be a couple months before before we can deliver that bike. The great thing is that we can make concessions and we can work with that customer and say, "Hey, this product's going to be out of stock. We can get you the bike quicker." if it would entertain moving to one of these other options. So we can work with you every step of the way to get you that bike when you need it, at the price you need it, and and uh, and really hold your hand through it. That makes a lot of sense. I certainly love getting those check-in points with manufacturers on what the supply chain is looking like because it has been grim and reported as grim on multiple episodes of this podcast. So I think everybody yeah. at this point is accustomed not happy about, but accustomed to the idea that they may have to be flexible or patient. Yes, we're very fortunate to have excellent customers, and, and most of them are completely understanding. And they'd like their bike next week, but they know uh, it's going to take a little bit longer than that. And They're very nice to us, and, and we're very appreciative of that. 100%. You mentioned the paint jobs and the option to get custom paint. I think you have about a half dozen stock colors and then you know, unlimited options on the custom paint. Are you doing that painting in-house or is that a, a partner there in the Denver area? Yeah, we have our own paint studio here in the facility. So we're doing all of the wet paint and all of the Cerakote here in-house. The Rogue that we looked at, Sea Otter, had that Cerakote paint technology in it. Can you describe what that is and how it differs from a wet paint? Yeah, Cerakote's been around for a little while. It started to make its way into the bicycle industry in the last year or two. It is a polymer ceramic coating and the actual the colors are, are suspended inside that that polymer. So that makes it extremely thin and a lot more tough than it's uh, wet paint counterparts. So it's about a sixth the the thickness of a wet paint, and it's easily twice as strong. So we can still expect to see wear out of it just because that's it's not impervious to it. But its toughness related to its thickness is quite remarkable compared to wet paint. We can't do as many unique things. We can't do a lot of 
opalescent colors. We can't do color shifting, but we can still do a lot of different design details in Cerakote. So it's uh, really a perfect coating for the Rogue that we're, we're expecting to see a lot of off-road usage and we don't want your down tube to get chips in it from errant rocks flying up from your front tire and leaning it against a tree all that stuff is is gonna uh, hold up a whole lot better with a Cerakote. Is the Cerakote applied in a different way than a wet paint? It's applied in the same way in that it, it is sprayed through an air gun but it needs to be baked and that's really where it achieves that toughness. So we have to, to bake it for a couple hours after the coating is applied. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for letting me explore some of my sort of deep personal questions on this. I love what you've been doing with sure. the brand and, and super excited to expose listeners to what alchemy is all about. Thanks. We're really excited about uh, the direction that cycling is going and people wanting to get off road. And we, we really want to be a part of that. And we appreciate you bringing some visibility, not only to our brand, but to, to gravel cycling in general. Fantastic. Thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Craig. It's nice to talk to you. Big thanks to Bryce for joining us this week. I really like what they've done with the Alchemy Rogue bicycle. I think they're spot on in the spec and the versatility of that bike. And it looks like it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to ride. I also want to give a shout out to our friends at Competitive Cyclists. Remember, visit competitivecyclist.com slash the gravel ride and enter promo code the gravel ride to get 15% off your first full price purchase. If you're interested in connecting with me and other gravel cyclists around the world, I encourage you to check out The Ridership. The Ridership is a free global gravel and adventure cycling community. Think of it as an online forum where you can ask any question you want, connect with other riders, create group rides, and generally share our love and passion for the sport of gravel cycling. Simply visit www.theridership.com for more information. Finally, and just a quick shout out to those of you who have become members or supporters at buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride. It means a ton every time a new contribution comes in and just helps pay for the overhead of the show and a portion of the time that I dedicate every week to bringing you the best gravel cycling content. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. 